When I was driving into church last Sunday morning, I was listening to my worship music and um, just worshiping and preparing my heart for church, preparing my heart for the word that would be spoken. And um, if you know me, you know that I like my time in my car. Uh, that's my sanctuary. That's my, my, my place, and so on my drives in, that's where I have my, my times of worship, times of prayer, times of reflecting, and, and so last Sunday morning as I was driving in, um, all of a sudden, Hosea comes to mind, and uh, most specifically, Hosea chapter three. If there's children in the house, you know what, before I go any further, you may go downstairs, there is something for you. The ushers will lead you, or moms and dad lead you, and um, there's some teachers there. But Hosea comes to my mind, and I began to reflect on the things of Hosea, and uh, as I was reflecting and, and thinking, I, I realized that this, I, I was turning off of the exit, um, and uh, approaching Dixie, and I realized that this was the word that the Lord was giving me for this morning, that we would be looking at Hosea, and from Hosea we would be seeing the picture of the resurrection, or the crucifixion, excuse me, and all that Christ did for us. Hosea 1 and 2 says that when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take for, to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Jumping down to chapter three or turning your pages over to chapter three, it says this, and the Lord said to me, go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is in an adulteress as, and is an adulteress even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and lethe of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man, so I will also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Hosea, a prophet of the word of God, and he is considered a minor prophet, not because he was a little man, not because he had little significance, only because the book of Hosea is a short book. It's not a long one like Ezekiel or Isaiah. And so he is called a minor prophet, but God speaks to him and tells him most specifically that he is to go and take this horror, this prostitute as his wife. 
Can you imagine being told such a thing? Can I put it this way? God is saying, I'm about to use you, Hosea. I'm about to use you in a way that is so different. I'm about to use you, your wife, and your family in a way that I want to display my love to Israel. Israel who has forsaken me. Israel who is not serving me. Israel who has given of herself to other gods. Hosea, I'm going to use you very peculiarly to meet the needs and the understanding of the people. Are you ready for this, Hosea? And Hosea 1 and 10 says this, Yet the number of children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said of them, You are not my people, it shall be said to them, Children of the living God. God was going to use Hosea to bring Israel out of that place where she were, was selling herself to another God. And instead, she, he was going to redeem her as his children to himself. Hosea chapter 2 verse 14 and 19 through 23 says this, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her, and I will betroth to you my, me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and steadfast love and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens and they shall answer the earth. 22, and the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people, and he shall say, you are my God. All of a sudden you could read that and you could see in the text a transition had taken place. A, tra a shifting of gears, if you could say, was taking place. Now these people who were not his people were now going to know, be known by him. They were going to be his people. These people who had no mercy would now be known as no mercy. But there's in, in that is a link of Hosea and his children and the names that would be given to his children. But before we could celebrate, there are several things that take place with his wife, Gomer. This prostitute that he married had the name Gomer. But even though she had been welcomed by this man, even though she had been loved by this man, she could not control her desires. She could not control her wanderings. Have you not experienced that in your own life where you have encountered the love and the mercy and the grace of God and yet you've wandered away, yet your eyes have been taken away to other things? Your heart has been taken to other, other challenges, other, other lofty things. Oh, this seems more alluring. This seems more intriguing. Has that not happened to you in your life where you have gone through days where you haven't served the Lord? in the great mercy that he deserves because he has given you mercy and grace and yet you just flippantly went by, flippantly not acknowledging him from one day to the next, not giving praise to him, not honoring him, not loving him. Lord, I thank you for this day that you've given me breath and life. 
I thank you that, Lord, I can go throughout this day and know of your love, that your hand is leading me, that, Lord, you are never leaving me nor forsaking me, that everywhere I will go, that you will be there with me. And yet, even though that is true as a child of God, we go about our day not even acknowledging his presence at our very side. Not even acknowledging when that, that car zoomed by us that he spared us from an accident. Not even acknowledging that when we went to the store to purchase our goods, that when the, when the debit card was accepted, it was by his provision. Not even acknowledging him in our everyday affairs. And this happened with Gomer. She did not acknowledge life or God in her life. And Hosea loves her, yet she still went out by night and sinned. She still involved herself in her, in her lifestyle. Be careful what you do at night. Be careful what you watch at night. The enemy loves to come and play in the mind. Has your mind ever been disturbed in your sleep and tormented? Confusion, anxieties, worries for the next day. Put a guard on your night watch. Put a guard over your computer, your TV in the night watch. And she went out. And in the morning, what did Hosea do? Well, we don't, she does not know that, but he leaves for her gifts. She returns the first morning. There is wine before her. She goes out again. She betray, betrays Hosea, gets herself involved again in the affairs of her lifestyle. She comes back home and she finds gifts of grain. Constantly pouring out his love. Constantly reminding her, I love you. You've betrayed me, I love you. You betrayed me, this is laid out before you. Not even acknowledging what he has done, not even just enjoying the gifts, but not acknowledging the, the giver. And so she goes out again and she comes home and finds a gift of silver and gold. Poured out his best, gave her of his best, and yet again, she does not acknowledge. She does not stop her prostitution. She continues to commit her adultery. Gomer was unaware of these gifts and continued in her ways. Hosea 2, 5 and 8 speaks of it. For their mother has played the horror. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore, I will hedge up her way with thorns. This is now Hosea speaking. And I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find path. She shall pursue her lovers but not overtake them. She shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then she will say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Everything that was poured into her life while she was walking and dancing with the devil, she then gave to her other God. Have you been guilty of the same? 
God has poured so much into you. God has given so much into your life and yet you go and you squander it on other things. And and God, what are you doing with the gifts that God has poured into you? What are you doing with with what God has given you? Are you giving it to other gods? Are you giving it away as though it is nothing? Are you just, just... putting it aside and going about day in, day out, going to your other lovers, going to your other events, going to your other allurements, instead of acknowledging what God has poured in. No matter what Hosea did, she did not respond. She continued in her sinful ways, even to a point of giving these gifts to Baal. And that is you and I. Daily we give, just give away what God has so blessed us with. God has blessed us with life and how many take their life and they have no problem to light up cigarettes and drugs and and alcohol and be consumed by, by these addictive things and not even feel the need to say, oh God, break this over me. Instead of, instead of acknowledging God in their life, instead of giving themselves wholeheartedly to God, how many in the church and how many sit in the pews and before they've come in, they've lit up a cigarette. I'm not here to judge you, but I'm saying we are walking in a way where we dance with the devil, as pastor has said, and we just come in and we praise God. We forget that God has given us life and that he has given us life more abundantly and we just throw away that and we say oh it's something that I can't help oh it's something that I've tried to give up but I can't give it up what is your addiction what holds you bound for Gomer it was her prostitution what have you committed adultery on God with what is your secret adulterous affair that you need to lay at the cross this morning. That you need to once and for all surrender to him. Some of us, we could do some introspection. And if we were actually and truthfully honest with ourselves, we may find ourselves bowing our head and saying, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me my thoughts, forgive my thoughts, forgive my mouth, forgive my actions. Some of us can sit here and say, oh, thank God, that's not me. Oh, I'm not given to any of those things that she just mentioned. Oh, but you've got a worse problem. You've got a heart that is bitter and angry and holds resentment towards others. Oh, but you're, you're, you're not like anyone else because, no, you don't have a problem with alcohol or you're, you're not given to drugs. Oh, you don't have an affair on the side with men or women. Oh, no, you're not a sinner like that. Oh, but you've got anger issues. You flare up like that. Oh, you see, we can come to church with the adornment of who we think we are, so self-righteous. But if we were truly to be honest with ourselves and we were to look deep within our heart as God sees our heart, we would be able to say, yes, Lord, even that, even that, oh God, I surrender to you. God, that, you know, that hidden area. That, that area that I'd hide behind a mask, God, even that I, I, 
I just lay that out before you? If we were to be truthful, but the thing is, we have a difficulty being truthful. I'm not Gomer. She was a prostitute. But something else has captured your love other than the Almighty God and that it has you held captive and enslaved. Oh, you think it's not an Easter message. You think it's not a Good Friday message. It actually is. Because that is why Jesus came. That is what he came to redeem us from. We see here a picture of a woman who was a prostitute. She was blessed with a family. She was blessed with three children. But what was she doing? She was going and giving herself away. How does God respond to somebody who continually just lives in their sin, who continually lives that lifestyle of portraying to be what they're not? How does God respond to Gomer? How does he respond to you and me? In mercy. In mercy. Hosea 3 and 1, And the Lord said to me, Go again! Love a woman who is loved by another man and is in an adulter and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes and raisin. God tells Hosea, Go love a woman. Go love again. How does God respond to you in your sin? He loves you again. How does God respond to you when you give of yourself away to other things, the attractions of the world, when, when you give your, yourself away in other addictions, in other strongholds, in other habits? How does he come? He loves you. How does he come when you have problems with anger, when you have problems with bitterness and unforgiveness? He comes and he shows forgiveness. He comes and he shows mercy. I can't help but wonder for Hosea, how did this feel when God said to him, go love a woman? Here he is, a follower of God. He has poured himself out for this woman. He has given her these gifts and she continually betrayed him. How did he feel? What were the true thoughts within Gomer's heart? What was his mind challenged with? You, I am amazed in this picture of Gomer because though she is not loving him, though she is continually betraying him, though she just disregards him, though she is not caught in the affairs of the home and, and tending to the children, and more and more is put upon on Hosea, and though he carries this, he never once do we see in the scripture, do we see him coming against her with retaliation. Because you did this to me, I will do that to you. Because last night you went out and gave yourself away. Forget it, the bedroom door is closed. Don't come near me. He didn't retaliate against her. But he shows us a picture of God's love. I wonder if he missed her. I wonder if he missed her. Did he miss his wife. 
when he looked at his children and the beautiful gifts that they were, did he miss his wife? Did he miss the love? I wonder if God, when we are out committing adultery on him, if he misses our time with him. Does he miss our time where we go to him and we just say, Lord, I love you. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for this life you've given me. God, I've been so busy today. I've been caught up in all these things that I have to do for work, for school, for the family. God, I just want to pause and in this moment thank you. Thank you that you gave me strength to go through this day. Thank you that in every way you were with me today. I wonder, did Gomer miss his wife as God misses our presence when we fail to go before him, when we fail to acknowledge him in our lives? Well, the scripture doesn't tell us but we do see something that does take place. Imagine Gomer, Hosea goes to the city square and there in the city square, the prostitutes are all lined up and there he comes and I'm sure that as the other men are there heckling and he's hearing them call out to the woman. There Hosea stands and he looks across the, the line of women and his heart, I'm sure, is beating very quickly within his chest. And as he watches across the woman, he meets eye to eye with his wife. Her makeup is to the nines. Her dressing is to the nines. She is dressed so that she could attract the one who would purchase her. So that she could be sold that day for one who will borrow her for a time. And there she is, all done up. And as Hosea pans them and he meets eye to eye with her, he calls out, I will take her 15 shekels of silver and I will take her 15 of barley. I will call her, I want number three. And the hecklers yelling behind, ha ha, look at who's got that one. Aha! And as Hosea wanders off, he goes into what was just a small pouch. And he prepares the money. And he dismantles from his donkey the, the grain, these three bushels of barley, to present as a payment for his wife. It may not sound at all familiar to you, but we could know that according to Leviticus 27 and 4, that a female slave would be sold for 30 shekels. 30 shekels of silver. Does it sound at all familiar to you? 30 Shekels of silver is what a female slave would go for. Matthew 26, 14 and 16 says this, Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? 
and they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. 30 pieces of silver, how does it relate to Gomer? Because 15 shekels of silver and three bushels of barley, the lethage, if I'm saying it right, is equivalent to half a homer, which is six bushels. Therefore, a lethate is three bushels. We could assume that those bushels sold for at least 15 shekels of silver, that the total value of what Hosea paid for Gomer was comparative to the 30 shekels of silver that Judas sold Jesus for. What a sad picture, because again, according to Leviticus 27, a male slave should be sold for 50 shekels, and Jesus was undersold. He was just disregarded. Undersold. Judas undersold his savior. Judas, who was the betrayer. Judas, a picture of Gomer, not even acknowledging what is before him. Not even acknowledging Christ that, that is there to love on him. Sells him for less than he is worth according to their Levitical law. He undersells Jesus for the price of a prostitute. But he is the one who has been adultered in his heart towards his Savior. He is the one who sold his Savior. Isaiah 52 verse 3 says, You were sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money redeemed without money. How were we purchased? If Christ was sold for 30 shekels of silver and Gomer was purchased for the equivalent of that, how is it that we were redeemed without money? Well, 1 Peter 1, 18 to 19 says, knowing that you were ransomed for the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood like that of the lamb without blemish or spot. How were you and I purchased? We were purchased by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no value to that. There is no, we cannot compare it to silver or gold. There is no comparative value, but we were purchased. We were redeemed. When God panned over his creation, he said, I will take that one. I will take that one. My son's blood blood has purchased that one. My son's blood has redeemed that one. And he doesn't look at us as, as the same as what Gomer was, but he sees us in our redeemed state. Purchased by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because you are valuable to God. You are priceless. The cost of your redemption was Jesus being poured out. The cost of your salvation was Jesus being poured out. 
Yes, because he chose to be obedient as Hosea walked in obedience when God said to him, go purchase a whore. Go, go love, go love. When God said to his son that he was to go and be our redemption, Jesus in obedience came even though he knew the cost that was set before him. For the joy that was set before him, Hebrews says, says he endured the cross. What was that joy? That joy was you and I. When Jesus looked into time, he saw your face and it brought him joy. And for that joy, he went to the cross. For that joy, he chose to die. For that joy of seeing you walk in the fullness of who you are and who you were created to be. For that joy he chose to pour out himself and to walk in obedience. Why? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only son that if we would believe in him, we would not perish, but that we would have eternal life. God loves you eternally. Eternally. You are incredibly and eternally valuable to God. Why? First Peter 3 and 8. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He took everything upon himself so that you may be brought to God and presented blameless. Blameless. Look at your life. Are you really blameless? Most of us here, if we were honest, once again, that honesty factor has to come in. We're not as blameless as we think we are. But by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have been made blameless. How did Christ suffer? Well, that's what makes Good Friday good. How did Christ suffer? Romans 5 and 8, but God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. Did he really die? Did he really die? Did he? Do you believe that he really died? Or are you just hoping that perhaps the stories that you've learned all in Sunday school or that you heard are true? Do you know and do you believe that he really died? The Muslims would tell you Jesus didn't really die. No, in fact, he just fainted. And he was buried in India at a shrine called... uh, Renegar Kashmir. I don't even know if I said that right. I, I, I asked for apologies and forgiveness to my, my Indian brothers and sisters. But apparently this is what the Muslims would say. Didn't really die. No, he fled. Excuse me. He fled to India. Some would say, well, Jesus didn't really die. He just fainted from exhaustion you know that vinegar and that water that they gave him contained drugs that uh, later overtook him 
You know, those drugs were meant to anesthetize him. Some people will, will just make it work. He didn't really die. But maybe as Ava would say, haha, he did. To laugh at these things, what, mu- what the Muslim would say, oh, he just fled. Oh, he just fainted, others would say, haha, no, he really died. The truth of the matter is the chances of surviving the crucifixion were bleak. And we'll see this in John 19. The crucifixion and the treatment that Jesus suffered preceding the crucifixion, the flogging, the beatings, it was brutal. It was true facts what he went through. The flogging was so brutal that many before the crucifixion would die as a result of the treatment and the beating that they received in the flogging. John 19, 1-3 says, Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. They were mocking him. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. Perhaps you can see it there and imagine it as I'm reading it. Twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand and kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put on his own clothes and on him and led him away to crucify him. This Roman form of flogging was terribly brutal. It consisted, as we know, of 39 lashes normally. The soldier would be whipped to such a degree and these metal um, balls would be tied to the ends of that braided leather um, whip. Let me just call it that in our terms. And when they would thrown down upon the person being flogged. Deep bruises would happen to the body. There would be contusions. And then there would be sharp pieces of a bone. And then when it would be flipped on him again, it would cut into the flesh so severely that muscles would be tearing, producing ribbons. The, the muscles would come like rib forms of ribbon. And then the guts would eviscerate. Think the body would break open as they were being flogged. As Jesus was being flogged, the skin was being torn on his body. The very muscles and sinews, the bowels, everything would have been open to exposure. And in this point of flogging, many would die. 
They would die from something called hypovolemic shock. Hypo meaning low, vol vol meaning volume pertaining to the volume in the body, emic pertaining to the blood. They had a low blood volume. Their blood pressure would drop. They would go so much trauma that they would lose a tremendous amount of blood. Their heart would race in order to increase the blood flow to the body. The heart would pump faster. The heart would work faster. But the hypovolemic shock that had engaged in the body because the body was pouring out the blood would make the body try to work harder. But the body couldn't. The heart could only do so much because there wouldn't be sufficient blood to be pushed through. And life is in the blood causing this individual eventually to faint or collapse. Yes, faint or collapse because of the state of the hypovolemic shock. The kidneys would then stop functioning because they would be trying to do everything they could instead of making urine, they would stop functioning in order to retain some form of volume within the body. And in doing so, the person would become thirsty because the kidneys would cease functioning. And did not Jesus say, I thirst? What he went through was real. The beating was real. The flogging was real. The blood being poured out was real. He did absolutely go through it all in John 19. As we go into the crucifixion part, it says, so they took Jesus, verses 16 to 19, and went out bearing his cross to the place called the place of the skull, which is in Aramaic called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. And Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Do you know what crucifixion is? It's a death by asphyxiation. Asphyxiation. The reason being is because there are so many stresses. They'll have a video of the crucifixion come up. So many stresses on the muscles and on the diaphragm that as that person is out, just to inhale, in order to inhale, they have to push up on their feet in order to expand their chest to be able to inhale a breath. And so each time Jesus had to push himself up, that nail that was within his feet would go even deeper. And each time he's pushing himself up in order to take a breath, the asphyxiation is getting even worse. The nail would begin to tear in the tarsals and the bones of his feet. And it would come to that point that there would be the individual that would be dying on the cross by crucifixion, and in this case, Christ, that they would no longer be able to push themselves up for another breath because that tearing that would take place would tear it to the point that there wouldn't be that 
energy, that muscular use to be able to push himself up and by suffocation, by asphyxiation, they would die. And so did Jesus die? Absolutely he died. Absolutely he died because there would come the point that he would no longer be able to breathe. And after this 19 of John 28 to 30, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge of sour wine on hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. It's actually supported by medical journals. At this point, it's called pericardial and pleural effusion. What has happened here with Jesus? His hypophilemic shock and the fact that the volume within his body, the fluid in his body is not circulating anymore in his body. It is now accumulating around the membranes of his heart. Pericardial effusion. It's now accumulating around his lungs. Plural effusion. And so when a Roman soldier would then take that dagger and poke into the ribs of Jesus, poke into the side of Jesus, the reason why the fluid poured out from his body was because it is true. Hypovolemic shock set in. It, because it was true, because of that hypovolemic shock, all the fluids of the body had surrounded themselves around the heart, around the lungs. They had pooled itself there. And so when the spear was withdrawn, the fluid that was left within the body of Christ came forth with that spear because it is true he did die for you he did pour out his life for you he was a living ransom for you he paid the price for you so that why you would not have to be paraded a bunch a bunch uh, in front of a bunch of hecklers I will take that one I will take that one no you've been purchased by God the Redeemer and his son paid the price and said for them I will die for that one I will die for her I will go to the cross for him I will suffer and be poured out for them I will just suffocate my last breath so that they may have life and life more abundantly he did die he did die and it was a good Friday because he died for you that you may have life today. He died for you so that as you're sitting in that pew, not even acknowledging how many breaths you have taken in the course of a minute, 17, 20, 12, not even acknowledging how many breaths you perhaps took you took those breaths and you are here and you are living because Jesus paid the price. Hosea purchased Gomer with that same obedience. He was willing to be mocked in the city square. 
you got her. Ha <laughs> Got the best one of the bunch. He was willing to be heckled. Jesus was willing to go to the cross. And he said to Hosea, he said to Gomer in Hosea 3, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the horror or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. And he asked her to live with him as his wife in faithfulness, and he would be faithful to her as well. Why? Because when Jesus paid the price for you and me, all that he asks is that we would surrender our lives to him, that we would no longer go and give ourselves to the way of the world, that we would no longer live as the world Monday to Friday, claim to be a Christian on Sunday, but that we would be, live as one who was redeemed by the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. I have a better life for you. I have a better plan for you. All of your days have been planned in my book. I have a book of remembrance of all the things pertaining to your life. Every tear you have cried with her redemption came her restoration. There would be a period that she would be alone, set apart with God. You know what? When you come out from the worldly systems, you need to set yourself apart. You need to have time in your week and in your days where you set yourself apart with God. Just you and the lover of your soul. Just you and the one who is the only one deserved of your attention, deserved of all of your affections. There's consequences in selling yourself away to the other voices, the distractions of the world, but the price has been paid. Why? Because 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new is come. That's where the transformation begins. If you truly have encountered that transformation in your heart, the first thing you will want to do is live for him. When God redeems us, even though we feel like we have no value, even though we might feel like we are a slave to our old ways and our old habits and those things that just want to so easily beset us, God sees us as loved. He sees us as loved. He looks at you and he says, you are loved. You are my acceptable bride. Hosea, who should have felt betrayed, who should have felt neglected, who should have felt unloved, who should have felt like she's not even worth the air I breathe, she's not worth any effort that I should put towards her, instead walked in complete obedience and loved. He loved. He loved someone who didn't deserve his love. He gave everything he had that, for a woman that didn't deserve his love. And what does the scripture says? 
say in Romans 2 and 4, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? If anything would have come out of Gomer's situation is that when he would have brought her home and he say to her, Hosea saying to, to Gomer, Gomer, you are mine. I've paid for you. Don't worry about going out anymore to receive your love, to receive your affections, to receive your acceptance. Gomer, I've given everything I have for you. I will love you. Gomer, sit, sit, come, sit. Gomer, let me fix you some tea. Gomer, can I run a, run a bath for you? Let me fix some oils for you. Let me anoint you, Gomer. Let me remove, oh, Gomer, Gomer, come. Let's remove those clothes that belong to that old life. Gomer, I have this beautiful robe for you. Don't you just love it? It's a robe, oh God. It's a robe that God has given me. He, he provided it, and, and, and Gomer, I, I want you to, wear it it's a robe that displays your righteousness you are my bride you are my bride Gomer because I paid for you and is that not what Jesus's price on the cross did for us did he not wrap us in his, in his robes of righteousness, making us that bride that did not deserve such a pure cloak, such a pure robe, and now all of a sudden, those rags, those things that represented the old way, the old man, the old woman, the old mindset, was now wrapped in the robes of righteousness, redeemed, purchased and paid for by the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so she says in Hosea 2 and 7, I will go and return to my first husband for it was better for me then than now. And how many once were in the church and somehow by the allurements and distractions of the world, they found themselves wayward and lost into the worldly systems and habits. And like the prodigal son, found themselves in a pig pen and said, but my father's servants at home are eating better than I. I will go home and I will repent and I will say, Father, forgive me. And what did what happened to that prodigal son as he returned? The father called forth a ring, called forth a robe, and what did he do? He threw him a party. Why? Because he returned to the father's house. He returned to the better life. He returned to his first love. What would leave Gomer to accept this redemption? but to look back and see in the memory of her mind the men that she gave herself to, the way she allowed herself to be used, the way she allowed herself to just be poured out and wasted, and now to receive this pure love from Hosea, so undeserving, so undeserving, and his desire is this. In Hosea 2.14, this is what God desires to do. 
Therefore, behold, I will allure her. He will allure you and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of anchor a door of hope. And there she will answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of of the land of Egypt. Hosea, the picture of Christ. Gomer, the picture of us lost to our sin. It's the work of the cross that makes Good Friday good. It's Jesus' obedience that makes Good Friday good. Colossians 2, 13 and 15 says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers of authority, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Why? Verse 13, you were dead in your sin. Our death was nailed to the cross. Our debt to sin died with Jesus at the cross. Our debt was that receipt of sin. If I went out to eat for dinner today, then they're going to bring me a bill. That bill indicates everything that I have eaten, everything that I partook of, and I will have a debt to pay to that restaurant. I will have a receipt that indicates that there is a payment that needs to be paid. And when Jesus went to the cross, it is that he paid that price. He paid our debt. That the word here in verse 14 says that it was having canceled out our certificate of death. What was canceled? It's as though God took a great big eraser and over every event in detail, shameful detail of your life, every detail concerning your life that just was not pleasing and honoring to him. He took his big eraser and he canceled it as though you had never lived it. And in doing that in verse 15 and going to the cross, he disarmed the power of the enemy over your life. He disarmed the authority of them over your life because now for that redemptive price in purchasing you back, he now has claimed that authority over your life. He comes to restore you. He comes to redeem you. He comes to make you new. How can I say that? Because Joel chapter 2 says he will restore the years of the locusts. He restores what the locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent out among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. Can you notice, can you take notice this morning how God has dealt wondrously for you. You were deserved of far worse, but God in his wonderful love has dealt with you that he took the big eraser and took it all away. He restored you. This word restore, 
is the action of repaying back. So he's going to repay back to you all those years that were wasted and stolen. The Hebrew word for it, it is shalom. It sounds like shalom. And it means that we would be safe in our mind, in our body, in our state. So it means that we would be made complete. Do you know what Gomer's name means? To be complete. When Jesus purchased us on the cross, his whole plan was that we would be made complete in him. We would be made restored in him. He comes to restore all that was lost. He comes to make you complete in him. Remember the beginning? Remember the, the passage that we read in Hosea 2 and 23? Well, when God spoke to Hosea and he told him he was going to use his family in a very different way, that, that Hosea's family would speak of a prophetic message in a way that wasn't declared like all the other messages, here is something we already see that we as like Gomer have been redeemed and we've been made complete. But guess what? The three children, we didn't touch on them, but his first boy was named Jesus. Israel, meaning judgment is coming. And his second child was a girl and her name was No Mercy. And his third child was a son. And that son would be named Not My People. Could you imagine naming your children such things? Judgment is coming over here. Not my son. No mercy. But God gives us a picture. In my complete restoration of you, in my complete restoration of you, he says this, and I will sow for her myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy, and I will say to not my people, you are my people, and he will say, you are my God. Why is Good Friday good? Because he came to die on a cross to pay that price for you so that you would have complete restoration with him so that where you did not receive mercy and deserve mercy, he would show mercy. Where you receive or when, where you deserve judgment, he would show no judgment. And where you felt cast off and not belonging and not a part of the family God, he would say you are my people you are my bride you are my chosen one and there nestled in Hosea the very minor prophet is the picture of Good Friday that God comes to redeem his bride and he says you are mine you are mine are you ready to walk in this goodness of God today would Josh or the choir or whoever come, come? On Wednesdays, we've been talking about the prayer in the garden and the agony that Jesus had in that time of prayer as he reflected on 
what he was going to do on the cross. And as we've been looking at it, we've been able to see that truly the victory of the cross was accomplished in the garden when Jesus agonized with his father and chose to walk in obedience. Because there in the crushing place, there in the place when he would become that poured out, when his sweat fell to the ground as drops of blood, a very, another true medical. He became that first pouring out in obedience. And Isaiah 53 says this, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. Yes, that poker went into his side. And yes, he was poured out right there when the poker went in. He was crushed for our iniquities and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep, all we like Gomer, all we have gone astray and have turned everyone to our own way. And the Lord has laid upon him, who's him? Jesus, the iniquity of us all. What is our griefs in the Hebrew? That's our physical sickness. What is our sorrows? Macabre. Our physical pain, our mental, emotional, physical pain. Why? Because of the chastisement. He took the punishment. He took what we deserved. And he bore the stripes. And by his wounds we are healed. Why? Because Matthew chapter 8 says this as we close. Matthew chapter 8. Oh, I turned a page too far. That's why I couldn't find it. And they began discussing... Oh, I'm in Mark. No wonder. Excuse me. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirit with, with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illness and bore our disease. This morning, Jesus paid the price. It's not a sad day. It's a day of rejoicing. Unless you have not surrendered yourself to Christ, then you have reason to be sad. Unless you don't know of the healing virtue of Jesus, then you have reason to sit and be downcast. But if you know 
what you deserved and what Jesus paid the price for in your life and what he set you free from, then you could sit listening to this and receive Jesus and know, Jesus, what great love. When I didn't deserve it, you poured yourself out. You could hear this sermon and you could rejoice in your heart knowing all that Jesus did for you. You don't need to be downcast this morning. You don't need to be forlorn this morning. You don't need to sit there embarrassed or wallowed in your sin. You just need one thing, surrenderance. Receive the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Today is a good day. He died for you. Today is a good day. He paid the price for you. Today is a good day. What you deserved, he took away and will repay it back with more than you can ever handle. Today is a good day. Stand and sing with the choir because God has redeemed you. If you haven't received Jesus right now, I'm going to ask while they sing that you would look introspectively into your heart and that you would take the time and we'll give you a moment to respond. Take the time and talk to Jesus.